new and adaptive physical education. Thank you for joining me. I have an awesome panel here today and we are going to talk about grading in adapted physical education. I think I'm excited for this topic but I think we're definitely in uncharted territory a little bit so I'm excited to get this conversation going and moving and today we have Brad Wiener here who's been on the show oh three or four times now. We have uh, Matt Townsley who's a colleague of mine at UNI who's a school administrator, educational leadership person with a background in standard-based grading. And we have Christy Roth on here as well, who was recently on a podcast uh, about uh, the coronavirus and, and using some apps and some web-based tools to navigate through that. So with that though, I'm gonna give them a, a brief, I'll let them just briefly uh, say hello themselves and say where they're working at and a little bit about themselves. Hi Scott, this is Brad Wiener and it is great to be back here and joining you on the podcast today. Uh, just a refresher, I'm an adaptive physical educator from Maryland. Been doing that for about 15 years. And this is really exciting to join you on this topic today. In 2017, Shape America tasked me uh, to do some research in this area and do a webinar on grading students with disabilities and how that is done. So I'm really excited to be back here to talk to you again today. Everyone, I'm Matt Townsley. I'm an assistant professor of educational leadership at the University of Northern Iowa. Scott and I are colleagues, a longtime listener, first time guest here on uh, What's New in APE. Um, my background is I was a high school math teacher for a number of years and got introduced to this idea of how to grade differently, how to think about grading differently as a teacher. And then um, prior to academia, I was a district office administrator um, in which the school I worked at made some pretty big shifts in the area of standards-based grading. And now in the uh, world of academia, it's uh, the topic that I'm perhaps most interested in thinking and writing and, and talking about today. So thanks for inviting me, Scott. Okay, hi, my name's Christy Roth. I am a former APE teacher for 10 years in the K-12 environment. I've been a professor for 16 years. I'm a professor of education teaching uh, adapted physical education as well as in uh, the Masters of Education online program, the graduate students at University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. I live in Wisconsin on the water, beautiful sunny day, so I'm a, happy to have you back and happy this is in the morning so I can enjoy the sun after. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about grading. I have, uh, I, I think about this topic a lot uh, just because I like thinking creatively about challenges and this is definitely a challenge in our field. And so it'll be a fun conversation today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy to do this early in the morning so we can get out there and enjoy that nice weather too. Yeah. Um, okay, so just to get started and anyone can start on this, um, I wanna hear your thoughts on what, what is the purpose of grading? So let, let's start there. Like why, what, what are we doing? Are we giving A's, B's, and C's to, to give A's, B's, and C's? What, what is grading to you all? What, what is the purpose of that? I'll hop in here, Scott. I think, you know, um, as a former secondary teacher in, in my classroom, um, for a lot of years, it was just all about kids chasing points. The currency of the classroom was points. It wasn't necessarily learning. 
Uh, Susan Brookhart wrote about an idea, um, you know, over 20 years ago. She called it hodgepodge grading, in which the factors that that teachers in my and I was one of them utilized to to determine a student's letter grade was just a hodgepodge of factors like extra credit and how many Kleenex boxes they brought in for you know for extra credit and how much they participated. And it's no wonder that you know that parents and students are confused when it seems like they are getting all the homework points or all the participation points in PE but maybe uh, they're not getting some points in other areas. And so um, I think in my mind, we should be moving away from this idea of hodgepodge grading and really thinking about grading as just being a means of communicating uh, student learning. Well, I was just gonna kind of go with that. And you know, the Office of Civil Rights kind of indicates the purpose of reporting grades as providing parents and students the knowledge in regards to their child's progress or level of achievement in specific classes or, or course content. So it's also good to go back to recognizing uh, what is stated by the Office of Civil Rights. And I would just add to that, that um, unfortunately for some, fortunately for others, uh, grading is a social construct. And so it's, it's a, often a requirement by our district. It's a language our parents and students understand and uh, one that many in the field who think deeply about grading are wanting to perhaps get people to start to reconstruct in their minds that social construct of what a grade is. Very interesting. Um, let's briefly talk too about, uh, you know, and I, I've talked probably to most of you about this now off script, but like how is our discipline APE maybe a little bit different and does that matter? Uh, that are, you know, APE is different because ICS is in the, the realm of special education, already a hard place to grade. And then you put us in PE, which is already another hard place to grade. So I, I, I perceive us as being this uniquely difficult uh, area to really grade. So what, what are your thoughts? Are we different? Um, what are the barriers, solutions? Uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act would, since we're defined under special education, would, even though we may seem different, we probably should be looked at in the same realm as how special educators are grading their students. So in other academic areas, we should be grading in the, the same format. Speaking from uh, you know a non uh, you know without that that uh, APE or even PE teaching experience, one of the things I'm wondering is um, if the purpose of grades is to communicate learning. If we uh, if we just ask the you know the non-Brad uh, APE teacher out there, right, someone who maybe is not as uh, as deeply into it, what are the top you know ten or twelve things that students are supposed to learn or demonstrate or do um, in PE? let alone uh, what that looks like for an adaptive physical education environment. I think that's what also could potentially make it challenging is just clearly defining what it is exactly that, that students are supposed to be learning or demonstrating in an APE classroom. And, and my guess is that Brad and Christy could perhaps uh, better define that for us. The overall arching thing that we are looking to do is create students that are lifelong learners and uh, lifelong active, uh, participate in a lifelong active lifestyle, right? So that is the overarching. How we get there may be different, but with that overarching, we want our students to live active lifestyles. 
And there are benchmarks that we have, like any subject matter, that kind of help us guide to getting to that uh, overarching uh, lifelong activity. Matt, refresh me on your question. You're wondering about how are we a little bit different in working with students with disabilities in physical education in terms of our, our long-term goals and grading, correct? Yeah, so the idea is that um, if the purpose of grades is to communicate learning, um, you know, what is it in a typical PE classroom that students are supposed to learn or be able to do? That perhaps itself might be a challenge for, for a typical physical educator, let alone um, an adaptive physical, physical educator to really define what it is exactly that students are supposed to learn, demonstrate, or do in, in, as a result of being in this class. And, and once that is defined, perhaps you can help define that. That may help clarify um, what this whole grading thing looks like. Right, yeah, that's a great question. And so I think our first overarching guideline is that our goal, whether we're, we're working with students with disabilities in a general physical education class or they're in a pullout environment, is to provide equal access to the general curriculum. And subsequently, we need to be grading them on the same standards that we're grading students without disabilities. Uh, technically, the law says that the only time we can actually change those standards and use alternate standards is if we're teaching them in a non-inclusive environment. So we do, I don't like using the term adapted physical education to describe a placement because people get confused and they think that adapted physical education means that you are, uh, that it happens outside of general PE and it can happen in general PE too. So I tend to say small group or one-on-one -on -one physical education. Um, so <clears throat> if we have them in that uh, outside of the environment, uh, the pullout environment, the Office of Civil Rights has indicated that we can um, have district approved and state level approve alternative standards that we're following and assessing students on and subsequently assigning grades to. But if they are being taught in the general edu physical education environment, we, we need to stick to the same standards and grade level outcomes as our students without disabilities. But where we do have permission to make alterations according to law is how we're assessing their progress towards meeting those standards. And we can do that through making accommodations through our assessment methodology. Awesome. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about the, um, the nitty gritty. How, like what practices have you seen uh, put in place for grading and adapted physical education? And then how might those be similar or different than general PE grading? Really, there are two methods uh, or practices that people are currently engaged with with grading. There is grading along the lines of standard-based grading. And then there's grading along the lines of uh, the IEP goals and objectives. And I feel like there are uh, two groups that are within their writing and, and within their uh, advocacy, they're, they're very much in those two groups of, yes, we should be grading along, the IEP is their program and the goals and objectives are what we should be grading upon uh, as that is their program. And then there's that other group that's saying that we should be doing uh, standard-based grading. In my research, they, they had arguments for both. Uh, I lean towards grading towards standard-based grading. So you, you take the general education benchmark, and if a student, if it's identified in the IEP that you can modify the grading, 
then you modify the grading and you align it to that standard that the general education students are uh, also being graded upon. And so I personally am not on the side of grading towards goals and objectives because there is some, um, one, they may not be reaching the whole curriculum by just focusing on that goals and objectives that are in the IEP. And two, uh, there may not be, a goal, in, a goal is meant to be achieved and if they're not achieving the goal, then um, the goal that you wrote may not be appropriate. So essentially, if you give a letter C to a student on an IEP goal, then you can say that the goal was never written appropriate to the student. So I personally am not in favor of grading along the lines of uh, IEP goals, but I do know that there are people out there promoting it and, and doing it. So that is why I brought it up. And I would say, Scott, I've seen uh, just from my years as an AP consultant where it was my job to travel from district to district and work with general PE teachers on successful inclusion and grading and assessment of their students with disabilities that I really saw a wide variety of use of grading and assessment methodologies. Uh, sometimes I would see the sole grading is based on effort and participation for students with disabilities. There might be an element of assessment related to uh, psychomotor performance as well as like dressing out and you know how hard do you seem like you're working <laughs> and they're assigned grades based on those areas and I think in reality we we all know I, I would say that those who think deeply about these and, and write about it and publish about them agree that standard-based grading is is the way to go this is our best practice in education but we also have physical education teachers who either A, are less aware of what some of those methodologies can be for standards-based grading, much less how to adjust that for students with disabilities. And then also they might have constraints by their district level expectations for how grading should be done in physical education um, and be getting uh, school-based community pressure on grading in a different way in physical education. I do know that uh, within my research that I did that they say that you should use the same metrics of grading. So if uh, a student, if the general education students are being graded A, B, C, D, then students with disabilities should not be graded on a pass fail or with what I've heard the letter M for modified. So you should use the same grading metrics. And I can say that right now, in the situation that we're in with this distance learning, uh, general education has gone to pass fail. So in this case, it would be appropriate for our students with disabilities to also be graded on a pass fail for this fourth quarter because general education is being graded on pass fail. And as we talk about this, you know, I know we're talking about the feasibility of it too, but I think that, you know, thing I struggle with with grading in our field is yes there's all these feasibility things but I, I don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is I'm not always aware of like what is the best practice for, for for what we're doing too which I think somewhat is what we need to debate too or discuss is what is the best practice and Brad I think you brought up to me probably something that sounds like a best practice of using the standard-based system and um, adapting it you know versus those IEP goals um, but to kind of go back 
on a few things that were said. So let's go back to one of the, so Brad's thought about the standard-based grading component and, and adapting it for our students with disabilities. Is it realistic to do that for kids with maybe severe and profound disabilities uh, where we're working on things like grasping or eye gaze? Is that, and I, and I don't have an answer for that, but is that a real, like, so if we're not gonna go towards grading on goals and objectives, uh, and I have a 16 year old who's supposed to be a junior in high school, um, can I really adapt that, that curricula uh, in that way? So Scott, I would say the answer to that is multi-layered. So if you have a student with a low incidence disability, um, oftentimes inclusive general physical education is not their least restrictive environment. You subsequently are educating them in small group or one-on-one -on -one physical education and you have more flexibility in terms of those modified standards for those students. Now keep in mind whenever you're developing the IEP goals for students with any disability who's receiving AP services, those goals should have been developed, the assessment should have been done looking at whatever the standards are. So you are, you're looking at two main things when you're thinking about what to teach and how to report on what you're teaching. One is what the IEP goals, which have been developed on not just an assessment, but what, what is it that the um, standards are, the grade level outcomes are, and the national standards are when you're doing that assessment and how do they perform in relation to those standards and maybe their grade level outcome that they're meeting is two grades below what they normally are or even three or four grades below what they normally are. But you still are using those grade level outcomes as your guide and a framework for uh, as you develop the IP goals and as well as you, as you develop your curriculum. So subsequently, your curriculum in that small group one-on-one -on -one environment is also supposed to provide equal access to that general curriculum. So you're saying to yourself, what is it that they're doing in, I'm, I'm working with a kid with a low incidence disability and they're in fourth grade. So what is it that they're doing in fourth grade right now in general PE and how can I uh, modify that in order to mimic it in a least restrictive environment for that student with the more severe disability. And to piggyback off that, I specifically put the indicator in my goals and objectives so anybody can see where I'm linking it to within the curriculum and the grade, the grade level curriculum. But uh, I always go back to help me do this. I always have to task analyze and look at the foundational skills that relate to what the, uh, the general education curriculum is, is at that benchmark for. So I am in the situation right now where I am providing grades to students uh, that are in high school, but showing skills that are below preschool and providing grades to them that are standard-based. Right, and so what's great about that and what Brad's describing is that he's still using that standards-based grading and those grade-level outcomes as his guide, and he might be reporting that the high school student is performing at a preschool level, but he knows what the next step up is that's listed under the grade-level outcomes to work towards with that student. And this is a little off topic, but you brought this up briefly, Christy, and I, I've heard a little bit about um, sometimes students with disabilities being graded on, on dressing out and the other kids are graded on actual standards. 
Um, I, I've heard that a little bit in conversation before, but you brought out dre dressing out, which is obviously a thing for more for PE. Um, is there any time in your opinions that we should be grading on dressing out? Well, our, <laughs> our conversation is centered around uh, modified grading for students with disabilities. So if you are a teacher who elects to evaluate a student on dressing out, then that also has to be an equal of grading measure for your students with disabilities. So they all have to be graded the same. That's a nice political dodge <laughs> for the question. <laughs> Uh, um, I would, I think that what, you know, what you're getting to is this question of, uh, you know, uh, can we ever come to a consensus of how we're supposed to grade in physical education, much less uh, for students with or without disabilities. And I would argue that consensus on any topic in education is an unattainable goal <laughs> because there are so many factors that impact the way that we teach. However, what we do need to strive for is what is legal, what is ethical, and what provides equal opportunities for students with disabilities. And so our goal as educators and researchers and content developers should be to provide a host of options that meet each of those elements so teachers and IEP teams can choose based on the constraints that they're in. So you might have a fantastic physical education teacher who walks into an environment, and I'm just gonna say this because I was one of them. One of my early jobs, I was a middle school physical education teacher and I walked in and my co-teachers who I was expected to team teach with, graded on how well kids sat while they were doing their warmups. Like if they did not talk during warmups and then if there was an issue with the, them talking during warmups, we'd have to start warmups all over again. And then when we looked at grades, we were looking at participation and dressing out. Now, did I necessarily agree with that as best practice? Not at all, but one of my constraints was, this was what the district said to me I was supposed to follow. So um, I think putting out education about best practice is imperative, but providing a host of options within those best practices is what educators need in order to navigate the constraints they're under in the districts they're in. I'll, ho I'll hop in, Scott. Christy had the uh, politically correct response. I'll hop in with a little bit less politically correct response <laughs> here and say, heck no. I, I, the, what I've seen as a school administrator um, when it comes to uh, awarding points for dressing out is not a function of best practice. It's not a function, as Brad mentioned, of tying it back to the shape standards. It's not a function of actually teaching kids how to dress out and then giving kids yeah. feedback on how to dress out. It's more or less a function of this is the way that I was graded as a PE student. This is the way in which I learned how to grade PE as a pre-service teacher. And therefore, this is the way that I am currently grading as an in-service PE teacher. And I think it's up to us uh, as, you know, great adaptive physical educators, as researchers to help um, push forward uh, a better practice. And I believe that most educators, when they know better, they will do better. And uh, I think, again, starts with agreeing on what the purpose of grades is. And so as uh, from a school administrator perspective, if, uh, if an uh, adaptive physical educator or a PE teacher said to me, hey, I I'm awarding points for dressing out, I'd say the first question I'd ask is, what are those top four, five, six, seven, eight, ten things you want all students to learn and demonstrate in this class? And how does dressing out um, align with that? And again, Christy mentioned a lot, and Brad mentioned this a lot, like the contextual factors. We know that 
parents and students expect to get an A and P. Like that's just some type of type of educational social norm that we're gonna also gonna have to bump up against. And uh, you know, no magical solutions for that. But uh, here I am, a educational leadership guy, pontificating about adaptive physical education. So uh, here ends that conversation for a second. I think I think I'll add and expand on this a little bit just to support a little bit about what Matt's saying and put it in a framework that he can relate to as a math educator that in I think when you're faced with these challenges in any in physical education if you compare it to an academic area and see if it's appropriate so would you ever have a math teacher assign a grade for how well a student sits in their seat during class or how often they get up to sharpen their pencil or how loud they ruffled their papers. These are the same types of um, behavioral expectations that you have in an academic classroom and dressing out is a behavioral expectation. A parent or student would be astounded if their grade was reduced in math for doing one of those behavioral, not meeting those behavioral expectations. And so um, it might be another way that educators could frame that to self-advocate for why um, dressing out should not be a part of your grade. <laughs> and what this kind of leads to is that it's a teacher behavior and not a student behavior that you're grading on and the lack of pre-planning. Because if teachers think about their class and actually do the pre-planning, then they should be prepared to provide those standard-based grades in the terms of thinking about how they're going to assess their students and creating those assessment tools that will be appropriate and having those conversations. And it's not always easy because I do know that uh, there are a lot of new teachers that they learn this in college and then they get into the school system and they're knocked down by their colleagues that have been in the field for 10 and 12 years and saying, this is what we're doing. But if the new teacher can go and do the pre-planning that they learned from college and then present it. If you present something and it's easy to somebody else, then it's easier to make that change. And you may not make a big change, but maybe start a change. So uh, I think it really goes back to uh, teacher behaviors and the ability or time to put into pre-planning. And I would, I would add though too though, but I do want to know, I want to, ensure that I underscore that I recognize that there are physical education teachers who are faced with challenges that maybe they're at a time in their career that they don't feel like they can self-advocate. They don't want to lose a job. They don't want to um, ruffle the boat. And, and so that's, that's a part of the reason why I wrote the article I wrote about the adaptive grading system, because I wanted to say, okay, if you are constrained in an environment that you are required to report traditional grades and are not in a standards-based grading environment, how can you make, uh, how can you provide fair and equitable opportunities for grading for your students with disabilities without just assigning an A? And how can you create a grading system that still requires them to show growth and progress based on the same ways that you're assessing your students without disabilities? I'm going to jump in now. This is a great conversation and I think we could probably continue it, uh, but I want to keep, keep the, the conversation moving a little bit. So um, Brad already kind of set us up on talking about like a 
somewhat of a dichotomous way of grading, um, grading on IEP goals or grading on a standard-based system. Um, now, Christy, I, I was I have your article up here, and it just came out with Joe Ferd, and it's called Adapted Grading in Physical Education for Students with Disabilities. And uh, you, you lay out an adapted grading uh, framework. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that might differ from standard-based grading a little bit? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'll explain some of the elements of the adapted grading model that I created first and then kind of show how um, you could take it the next level to apply to a standard grace mo grading standards-based grading model. They don't necessarily have to function separately. If you just think more broadly about the methodology, then you can actually apply it to a standards-based grading uh, area. So um, model. So there, you can kind of break. It's just, it's more looking at what is a traditional grading model that you have, and then how can you modify that for students with disabilities? And the article kind of breaks down what are the, what are the pros and cons of each of the methods that I described. So one of them is called a veritable effort grade, where you actually are measuring them based on like number of minutes of independent participation, number of minutes within their target heart rate zone. You set a, uh, you take a baseline and then you set a goal for the number of minutes you want them to be, then at the end of a unit or the end of a term, you take a week and you do it, figure out what the average is for the number of minutes of independent participation or number of minutes in their active in their heart active heart rate zone, then you divide that by your goal and then that ends up with a grade. <laughs> so that's one way. The another one's called just modifying weights. So you can actually, let's say that you have a standard of grading where you do a certain percentage for cognitive assessment, a certain as percentage for affective and a certain percentage for psychomotor. A lot of times, physical education classes, you might see the heavier weight on the psychomotor and a lower weight on the cognitive. You just adjust those weights based on the student with the disability. So you can maybe have a lower percentage based on the cognitive assessment if that's something that their primary strength is in the psychomotor assessment. And then, or flip-flop that. You know, it could be that they have a higher percentage on affective, um, higher percentage on psychomotor, lower on psychomotor. Now, I, I think that that's kind of too broad. It doesn't dial down into individual needs of students with disabilities. So you actually can do the same thing within units. So you just alter the weights of the units within an actual, um, within your term that you're grading for, your semester you're grading for. Let's say you have five different units and the student does better in individual sports and games. So the tennis unit gets weighted higher than the football unit. So these are all kind of high school examples because I think we see that standards-based grading is far easier to pull off in an elementary environment than it is a secondary environment. Um, so then you also can look at domains within a unit. So let's, instead of doing the broad cognitive affective psychomotor overall for a term, you look at cognitive affective psychomotor within a unit. So it could be you have possibly a student with autism who effectively performs far better in badminton than they do in soccer. And subsequently, the effective assessment is weighted higher in badminton than it is in soccer, if that makes sense. 
Um, the next one is called the level of difficulty rank. And so basically what you do is you list out the skills that they have attained, that they will attain in the unit. And you rank those skills based on level of difficulty from a scale of one to two. So if it is a skill that is easiest for them to do, so it could be that passing a soccer ball is easier for them than um, figuring out where to stand on defense. And so the passing a soccer ball skill is ranked at one, the standing on defense is is ranked at 1.9. So whatever their base, whatever their score is on, uh, oh yeah, there you go, you got up. So whatever their score is on the, come on, I can't see my screen now. Let's see. Sorry, you'll have to edit this out. Sorry about that. I'm just trying to keep everyone else <laughs> up here so we can. Sure. Um, okay, so whatever their score is on that individual, on that skill, you just multiply it by the level of difficulty rank. And subsequently, you're, you are just weighting that way, but you're really dialing it into specific skill components. Um, then the next one is called like a points per skill. So you just list out the skills that are, this is actually a lot of rubrics already have these, the skills that are listed there. And then you, you can categorize easiest skills, medium level skills, harder skills, and you just assign different points based on how easy or how hard the actual skill is. And then you just calculate up your points at the end. So and this is another method of uh, weighting. And then, and I, I'm going through this super fast. And so it's, I, I am, hopefully it's, it's more, take some time and read the article because it describes it a little bit better. Um, but the level of attainment is one that I would say I had all of these piloted in general physical education environments and the level of attainment is the one that I would say the teachers found the easiest to do. So they actually went, they listed out or took their standard rubrics for skills to be attained within a unit and they say, okay, here are all the skills. What's our goal for the number of ones you want to be able to functionally perform? So then we're looking at functional performance. You also could change that functional to um, show mature per skill performance if you want, but for some of us, we look at functional performance in with our students with disabilities. So can they, they don't have to do it with beautiful form, but they can do it with beautiful outcome. And so can they functionally do the skill? You say, here's our goal for the number of skills we want them to do based on the ones that are listed for the unit. And then you just count up how many they can do at the end and divide it by the goal. So those were, there, there are a couple of other ideas listed in the article. I talk about contract grading and independence grading as well. Um, but those were the ones that if you have a student in general physical education and you want to modify the way you're assessing them, again, you're not, you're not modifying the grade at the end. It's illegal to say a student has a disability, they automatically get an, a modified grade. <laughs> so you have to prove that they have a need for a modified grading system. And these are accommodations to your assessment methodology that ends up with a grade that, that is appropriately matched to what their skill performance level is. Keep in mind, all of that needs to be discussed with the IEP team and written out in the IEP as, as being made 
as a system, right? Um, if you're going to establish an, an overall modified grading system, then actually the law says if, if you're going to do that with your students with disabilities, you have to also make it available to your students without disabilities. And so how do you, that's another, another conversation for another day, right? We have a podcast series here on this topic. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, okay. Wait, 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 Scott, may I jump in real quick please, and just please. say that uh, within the supplementary aids program modification supports and services, there is a spot where you can add grading, uh, modified grading. And just like Christy was saying, that is a team decision. And if the team decides that a student should uh, receive the modified grading, that should be indicated on the IEP. There's also, uh, and I, I, we might not get to this topic, even though I had it kind of scheduled. Uh, when we talk about standardized tests, such as like the fitness gram, um, you know, districts have different requirements uh, and they're only able to um, provide waivers for so many kids not to take those assessments. Uh, so you have to be really careful. But if they're not going to take one of those assessments due to their disability or they're going to take a, a Brockport test instead of the fitness gram, that has to be. Uh, within their IEPs as well, correct? Um, so, yeah, yes. So the law says that you are allowed to provide an alternate assessment if the IEP team deems that's what the student needs. And um, they, the alternate assessment must measure their achievement against the grade level standards or adopted modified standards if you're going to use that alternate assessment. So, um, but again, the IEP team determines that. When I was in, I went to a CEC conference in Texas, and the only thing I know is from that conference, they were saying that, um, and they were adding waivers to schools at the time, but they were only, the school district was only allowed, and then they would get penalized if they had more than 1% of their population getting an alternative assessment for a standardized test. So I know that certain schools have a lot of stipulations when it comes to those standardized tests, and it's kind of to be taken kind of seriously if they're going to take an alternative test for those. So right. and that's, a sidetrack on this, but yeah. No, for sure. And, and, a, and a good place to research those requirements is the ESEA Title I. So you can look at that and it, it really describes for you those constraints for districts based on percentages of alternate assessments and reporting requirements. So going back to the, uh, Christy's kind of explanation of that adapted grading system, um, how, do, how does this fit? So, you know, and Matt's a proponent, a big proponent for standard-based grading, which we, we've kind of just like uh, glossed over a little bit. Um, but like, and if you want to define it a little bit better, Matt, uh, when we talk about this, but like, how does it fit into standard-based grading? Does it not fit well? Um, like, how do we see that? Do, do these align together? Do they, or are there, is there friction? I'll just kind of share a little bit about standards-based grading and then let the, uh, the APE experts uh, take it from here. But the idea of standards-based grading is uh, moving away from a classroom that's, um, that is uh, graded based upon activities and events. And instead, um, it's, it's a classroom that's really based upon the skills or objectives of the classroom and those being the things that we assess and report out learning or demonstration ability to do thereof. So. Um, instead of a, a grade book and PE looking things like, you know, Monday dress out or Monday participation or Monday stretching, you know, five points, 10 points, 16 points, it would be specifically the, the day or the week's um, learning objectives. There would be some shape standard or some learning target that comes from a shape standard that is in the grade book. 
and that is what the uh, the physical educator would be reporting in the gradebook instead. And then we, we would be most concerned about that. Uh, we'd most be concerned about giving students feedback on that. We'd most be concerned, as Brad used the phrase, pre-planning based upon that. Um, and that would be our end. Um, and if there does need to be a letter grade determined based upon that, you know, we sometimes we'll see even a letter grade determined based upon standards in a secondary setting. Um, that letter grade would be based upon how well students have demonstrated the standards as opposed to this hodgepodge conglomeration of dressing out um, how well you, you know, how well your team scored on the football, you know, the flag football team and that type of thing. So again, what that looks like in APE and how that um, aligns with what Christy wrote, I think there are some connections, but I'll turn it over to Brad and Christy to talk more about that. Yeah, I, so when I, I think that you know, they're, they're, they can be extremely complementary of one another. So what, what's described in the articles are actually ways to modify on a level that's a little bit deeper than the actual standard-based grade. If you look at the difference between assessment and grading, and really what's described in the, the article is ways of adapting assessment, which results in and a grade that's been accommodated. So um, and it, there are quite a few cool examples out there of how you can have a standard-based grading report card. Like Alyssa James has an article in 2018 where she gives like a really good summary. I think it was 2018, you'll have to check me on that, Matt, where she gives a really good figure on how you can compute grades based on the shapes standards and grade level outcomes. And basically you're taking the standard, the grade level outcome, and then you're, for each outcome, you're identifying if the student is approaching meeting or exceeding progress towards meeting that outcome or the performance outcome. Then it, for the way that she describes it is you have uh, identified where they are. She equates the approaching meeting and seating as a one, two, and three. So Shape America also provides an example for this. They have example progress reports, student progress reports on their website for standards-based grading. And they use the terms excellent, competent, and needs improvement. And it's a, a one, two, and three. Now one, two, and three are not to be equated to an A, B, and C. Uh, basically they are, you what the way that Alyssa proposes is that let's say a student you you add up the twos and threes to the number of uh total in total and divide that by the total possible one twos and threes so the total possible score and that percentage ends up being their a b c or d so you actually can do the exact same thing with some of the the methodologies that are described in the article so how do you determine the one, two, or three, the meeting or exceeding? You're determining that through some type of a rubric, right? So PE Metrics is a great resource that gives us tons of assessment strategies for determining you know, how they are, how students perform under the grade level outcomes and um, standards. You can, or if you have just a standard rubric, and you can do some of that weighting changes that I described, as well as the level of attainment that I described in the article at the rubric level, which helps you then identify if they're meeting or exceeding at the outcome level. That sounds very matrixy. I hope it was, it, you could follow me. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like it, they, they do work together. So, okay. 
well, I'm going to wrap this conversation up, even though I think that we, we could have a lot of other conversations. We could have conversations about standard standards, uh, standardized testing, how that, how, like, I, I think I wanted to get a little bit more into how it works in the IEP. Uh, we've kind of glossed over it, but I think maybe we need to revisit this at some point or I, I need to, um, because it is such a comprehensive uh, thing. Now, Overall, I, and maybe it's because I have three, you know, experts in the area of grading in front of me, um, but I don't, you know, I feel like we're kind of, we have a little bit of a consensus that it seems like standard-based grading using the standards is good, um, and those types of frameworks are good now, but I'm not sure that that consensus is there for the entire field. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's not, um, and so I, I want to know you know, I don't feel like there is a lot of conversation about grading in our field uh, in physical education or adapted physical education. And I want to know what you think on how do we move forward in the coming years, continue this debate, and, may, and, and to maybe come up with a consensus, although I'm not sure that we need a, a full, like, consensus on one way is the best way or not. But so I wanted to kind of throw that out there. How do we move this conversation forward? Because I don't feel like there's much of a conversation about this, even though I think it's pretty important. There's a couple things I'll throw out there again that perhaps are parallel in the physical education world is that e even the, the common core standards themselves and more like the math, English language arts realm, they're still relatively new, uh, you know, relatively speaking. Like there are educators out there who, who don't really have a full grasp of those standards. So I'm not sure how how well the you know the typical physical physical educator is is deeply entrenched in those grade level expectations for what the shape standards say we should be teaching and assessing so that might be a first step forward is just a, a deeper understanding of what is exactly that students are supposed to be doing and then secondly back to something i said earlier um i don't know if if we as as university folks do a great job of actually teaching uh educators in general how to grade um I mean, is there a class that we actually teach students how to grade? Um, I don't know. Uh, and perhaps that lends itself to what uh, Dan Lordy called, you know, his classical theory, the apprenticeship of observation. Um, as physical educators, we might lean more towards on our experience as students, um, even then compared to what we learn in our pre-service program. So just a couple ideas that maybe are more global that um, perhaps Brad and Christy could build upon. Yeah, I would expand upon on that a little bit because it's a fantastic point that Matt's making is that where we can have the most impact is in our teacher preparation programs. I would argue also or complement that with the statement that we do a fantastic job in physical education and adaptive physical education with talking to each other, but we are not the policymakers often. And so educating those in an interdisciplinary way is really where we need to be to, to get to garner traction on what generalized expectations should be in physical education. So rather than making sure that in adapted PE, you are spending time in the intro to special ed class where you're teaching your pre-service special ed teachers, 
about what appropriate practice is related to physical education for students with disabilities, including how do we grade them, <laughs> so they know what to expect when it comes to IEP time. And then also those of you who have access to administrator preparation programs, so licensure programs for administrators in your districts, making sure that you are either taking your grad students or a group of seniors to go in and give a talk about what to expect for physical education and adapted physical education. Because I think it's not that people don't want to follow these policies and best practices, they just don't know about them. And so broadening our conversation, I think, is where we can have a greater impact. I'll agree with that. And I think that it comes with us continuing to do the research, having the continued professional development. Uh, one of my concerns right now in society is that I think that administrators and policymakers don't have much value for not just adapted physical education, but physical education. And we need to be strong advocates to increase that value in the sense that I know plenty of principals that when they see a letter grade that's below an A, they make a physical educator change the grade. And that just shows that there's a lot, lack of value in what we do. So we need to be strong advocates for what we do. And if we create uh, the assessment tools and the rubrics that, you know, and use those methods that Christy shared in that article, then that just helps us create, be better advocates for what we do. If we go and present to the, to the administrator, this is why I provided the grade and it wasn't based off them coming in and, and changing or sitting politely, but it was graded based off the, this criteria that we've been talking about that advocates for what we're doing and we need to be better advocates. Absolutely. And in uh, this point's kind of been made a lot about the general PE and administrators and all that. And I, I wonder in a way, um, if grading needs to kind of be fixed or get stronger in general PE, since our job is usually to modify or, or to adapt that, that grading a little bit uh, in some way. And if, if general PE's grading is still things like dressing out or that administrators want always an A for no matter what the, the, the reason is, you know, the adapted PE teacher, we're gonna, you know, we, we need to fix that system before we can even do our jobs properly in a way in relation to to uh to grading kids with disabilities um so the, the really good points um any other thoughts on on where to to go from here for me i personally just go back to the fact that in, in adaptive physical education or specialized physical education that we're defined under special education and so we should be grading in the same manner that the other academic subjects are grading and uh, I think that directs our conversation that we, going back to your first question, are we different and we shouldn't be different than math or science and how they are providing their grades. Absolutely. And I, I think though that also that point of that the perception of that we are different is perpetuated through a, a lot of different lens including and probably one of the strongest ones is parents and administrators thinking that if they don't get an, like, why would they never get an A? So um, that, and that shows that, you know, a, a variety of people don't value PE is because if they get a B, they think that there's, 
you know, that the teacher's being a, a jerk. <laughs> yeah. I, and I would want to direct listeners just to a couple of resources as they navigate through um, these challenges. So there are a couple of publications out there that I like referring to. One of them is a from the Office of Civil Rights. It was actually published uh, back in 96, and it was based on some questions from Montana. It's called Letter to Runkle, and maybe you can put a link, of, link to it in the podcast notes. But they really dive into answering some questions about may a student with a disability who received special ed accommodations in a general ed classroom be given modified grades, um, what it what do you have to indicate on the transcript if they have modified grades? Do you have to say if it was a special ed class on the transcript? So these are some this is a really good Q&A um, document that people can take a peek at. Uh, additionally, there's a section in section 300.160 and idea the regs where it talks a lot about those alternate assessments that you started to allude to related to state level assessments. So I would direct people there. The article that I mentioned by Alyssa James in 2018 that was in Joe Bird. And then there's also a really great Q&A sheet from the Office of Civil Rights where it talks about report cards, transcripts, and grading for students with disabilities. And I can provide you a link to that as well, Scott. So those are some good resources for people to take a peek at as they're exploring some of these questions. That's awesome. And if you share those with me, I would, uh, I'll put them on my blog for everyone to see. Awesome. That's good. And so the, the last thing I did want to mention that we didn't quite talk about when we talked about the IEP grading, grading on the IEP. Actually, one thing that I, people are less aware of is if a student is taking a class like general physical education for no credit, so they're just taking it as an elective or doesn't count for credit, then you are allowed to submit grades based on IEP goals alone. Another resource to throw out there, Scott, again, uh, perhaps a little bit more global, is a book called Grading Exceptional and Struggling Learners by Leanne Young and Thomas Gusky. It just perhaps provides a, uh, a physical educator with a framework for thinking about how to do those things that Christy just talked about that the Office of Civil Rights says we can and should and do it in proper way. Um, just provides a little framework to do that. And my guess is if, if you read Christy's latest article, there's probably a lot of connections between those two as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for being on here and talking about this uh, very, um, you know, uncharted territories a little bit, at least talking about them in a public setting. <laughs> um, so I, I appreciate coming on and, and having that conversation. All thank right. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me.